0: Societies have faced intractable problems since we stopped dragging our knuckles, and probably even before that. Some of these challenges we have overcome, others still persist. Inequity, racism, slavery, repression, and many other social scourges are being fought and have been fought by armies of social and human service workers. Given that humankind is largely an empathic entity, it comes as little surprise that the nonprofit sector is the largest employer in the United States. But the model we have and the organizational cultures of many of these nonprofits have proven over time to provide a modest ROI. Billions are given away every year to solve intractable problems and modest progress is being made. But these efforts and these organizations persist. Take, for example, the thousands of homeless charities that have been operating for years. Yet, homelessness still exists, and some, some studies show it's even on the rise. Billions of dollars are donated to breast cancer charities, yet breast cancer still plagues millions every year. And why has poverty in the U.S. been stuck at 12% over the past 40 years? In the face of incredible efforts to reduce that number, there is ample evidence that shows that free market democracies have been making incredible progress moving millions of people out of poverty and raising life expectancies, living standards, and health outcomes. Given the incredible progress free markets and businesses have made in improving society, a large question needs to be asked re- regarding the role of nonprofits and philanthropies. Dan Pelota, a thought leader of philanthropic giving and nonprofit leadership, says that philanthropy is the market of love, the market for those who have no other markets coming. I love that quote. The problems that many nonprofits and philanthropies are out to solve are massive in scale, and the organizations fighting them are tiny in comparison. Well, most are, but there are some behemoths out there too large philanthropic foundations who give hundreds of millions of dollars away every year to a handful of social issues and that's what we will be exploring today we're going to be talking with dolores estrada the director of grants management at the california endowment one of the largest foundations in the united states if not the world the director of grants management is the person in charge at the foundations to ensure the money that they are giving away is spent effectively and impactfully. I can't express how excited I am to have Dolores on the show today to explore how the California Endowment and other foundations are ensuring that the money they are giving away is funding impact and also learning about the social innovations that they are helping fund and scale. Dolores, welcome to Onward.
1: Thank you, Daniel. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Thank you for inviting me. I am hoping that we can share some incredible stories about work being done in California and with my um, organization, the California Endowment.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, before we jump into things, um, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do at the California Endowment.
1: Thank you. So, I um, have... Uh, been at the California Endowment for 19 years. Whoa. I have um, currently uh, my role is as Director of Grant Operations, which is the department that manages the administrative uh, portion of the grant making process. But I've also served in other roles here at the organization on um, uh, preparing grants and and really working with nonprofits for their success. So. This is a this is a great opportunity, sort of, to merge my administrative uh, knowledge with my programmatic knowledge and, and and help these grantees that are are in our circle really be successful, so that they can continue to do the work that needs to be done in community.
0: Okay, and so what are sort of programs and issues does uh, the California Endowment focus on?
1: Well, you know, the California Endowment has this wonderful uh, definition of health that really focuses on the, on the world health definition, which it is not just the physical self, but all the mm. things that are around an individual that impact their ability to be healthy. And so um, what the endowment focuses on is a very simple, simple goal, but it is uh, difficult because it, it is like a spider web. It has different places that it goes. And um, our our simple goal is to create places where children and families can live, be safe, and have productive lives. And that is a very simple goal, but it is mm. tethered to so many things. Right. It's right. Tethered to race, social economic status, gender, where you live, where you work, where you play, and these are all the different kinds of opportunities that individuals have to really make. Optimal health of reality and so our goal is really how do we reshape those places where we're at? both in the in institutions that that determine our health but the neighborhoods where we live in and and the workplaces that we're at and how do we make the most of those opportunities to be healthy individuals and really embrace it as a Commonality for everybody not just dependent on where you live
0: and You're operating in one of the largest states in the union. Um, Is that same definition of what health looks like the same in Reading as it it is in Vassalia?
1: No, no, it's a very different perspective. Um, And, you know, right now, one of the things that we focus on is a campaign that we have around um, where you live. Because uh, we have discovered over time and research with uh, data and the science to support this statement, that is... Um, where you live determines how healthy and long a life you have. And that shouldn't be. Your zip code shouldn't determine how long you live, but it does. And so in order for us to be successful in in Visalia or in any other place in California, because we have 58 counties, we really have to address some of the burdens that individual communities have. And those burdens are not the same across the board. Where you might have... Rural issues that have you know require something like transport, public transportation. In one place, you might have the issue of uh, having local nonprofits who are able to provide services that are needed. So it depends on what the priorities of the community are, it, how they rank them, um, and how they want to address them. That has been part of the. Critical approach for how the endowment is doing its work is, you know, uh, some some communities have low-performing schools that are keeping our kids from graduating, and others don't. And so, being able to get to a healthy community is is not the same in each community, and being able to listen and engage with those communities to really get to the core, the root cause of what is causing community and the individuals in that community not to be healthy is is an important part of the work as a grant maker. And, 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 and at the endowment, we like to reference sort of the, the community mobilizing work that we're doing as part of our change making work, right? The grant making part is the, the ability to give money to provide services or programs for, for that work to happen. But the other piece of it, which I think is equally as important, is the work that our program managers do with our uh, communities and the residents in those communities about really listening intentionally and understanding what the core problems are and how they want to be able to engage in addressing those problems. No problem is ever addressed the same way. However, being able to learn from those lessons and bubble them up so that others can learn, that is an also an important facet of the work. And, and it really does ground you in the fact that you cannot have a cookie cutter solution for some of the things that are coming up. And that, that really takes a, 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 you know, sort of a strong ability to step back, listen, and then engage. But that's what the work that we're doing.
0: Awesome. So you've mentioned a few things that, um, have interesting juxtapositions. Uh, you talked about data, but then listening, which is something that's harder to quantify, so jumping on the data side, I know that, um, foundations, nonprofits, they're really focused on metrics and we're all living in this VOC environment right now, you and your grantees, they're out for impact. So I'm curious how you're balancing, ensuring the money that you're giving away is going towards mm-hmm. impact and not just funding, um, monitoring and evaluation efforts.
1: Well, it's interesting that you ask because in this ten-year uh, initiative that the endowment is currently in, uh, building healthy communities, we decided early on not to commission any comprehensive evaluation of this initiative. Based on the experience from other place-based um, initiatives that other funders had done, we we reached out and said, "So, what are the meaningful ways that, from the place-based work that we're doing, can we sort of create a?" a, a some sort of metrics and what we learned was that you know the development of such site-specific detail uh, you know metrics um it didn't seem to resonate with the with the concept of listening to the community and finding out what they thought were the issues so Hmm. um while we may have missed some useful baseline data at, at the beginning uh the evolution of of our building healthy communities work has really been validated through a frame that includes some metrics, but really focuses on the storytelling and the engagement of our partners and communities differently. So we do we do have some metrics as part of our evaluation of this initiative, but really what we have more in stock of is really the stories, the personal stories of how you transition from this state of, un, un, you know, being not healthy to being able to become part of the community that helps organize the way that it approaches its its health. And that is that is an important transition for us because we often think about, you know metrics as being the only way that you can sell the success of something. Right. But oftentimes, you you sometimes you may get a little bit too embedded in the metrics and the philosophy behind having data. The science is helpful and it's useful when making. Um, I think uh, engaging others to support the work. But what really comes out of, out of this is you know really having the opportunity to understand that. Um, sometimes the metrics don't necessarily give you the opportunity to react to what is happening at the moment and you need that flexibility and you need to focus on the person and, and that is and that, that's sometimes what drives the metrics but we have done a really amazing job of you know we've been working with local learning evaluation teams even though we didn't set the metrics at the beginning of, of, of our initiative. And we've really had a lot of learning opportunities. And what we've learned by not putting those metrics in is that there are many other things that we would not have thought of if we had set ourselves to, these are our goals, A, B, and C. You know, we have, the, the goals of the BHC are really simple. It's 100% coverage and access for health promoting health services. 100% of California schools have wellness and climate school climate policies and practices. And 100% of California cities, counties are establishing long uh, local health promoting policies and moving from incarceration to prevention. So those are really high level, but there there are metrics. But within the individual communities that we're currently in, each of those communities have adopted a different way to frame this and approach um, sort of this, this need to resolve, you know, um, the the inequities and challenges of of health within different communities. And so, you know, from our perspective, metrics are great and we have used them, but it is not the sole uh, foundation for the work. It it really is about the people and the communities that we're engaging in and really that personalization, right? To to envision a healthy California, you have to focus on the people and the systems in it and and, – the metrics are useful, but because of the way that we are and, and the largeness of the state, it really requires for us stepping back and maybe focusing on the story and understanding what's at issue. And then from that, building the metrics and what it is that can be done, priority prioritized within each individual community.
0: That was not the answer I was expecting. Um, I know we've been in conversation before and you and your colleagues talk a lot about metrics. Um and given this uh, this environment that we're in it's so dynamic things are changing constantly it it sounds like the approach that uh, the endowment's taking is much more aligned with kind of the, the shifting sands that we're we're standing on that we're operating on do do other oh, foundations yeah. take a similar approach to you guys you know i I don't know uh,
1: that they do I, I... I do think that one of the things that uh, we we were very clear on um, when we started the initiative is that we wanted to learn as much as we could from others who had gone into this place based work and really uncovering what are some of the what are some of the key lessons learned and how can we make sure that you know we won't be able to address everything because you know nature. You know the nature of philanthropy is that you pivot with what's happening in, in social and civil society, um, and and we really kind of did a, a deep dive into what others had done and said. You know maybe maybe it shouldn't be such a tight fit with metrics and and with the expectations yeah. and 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 let us elevate something at a very high level like the three goals that I mentioned. And let's focus on that and see how each of the communities then wants to address it. Because maybe they don't think that these are the same, that the, the way that we want to reach these goals are the same for the communities right. that we're in. And, and that that turned out to be true because you have a distinction of... In each of our, you know, we have 14 sites across the state of California, and in each of those, you have a different way that we've approached the work, and it is based both on geography, population, and the systems in those specific places. So understanding that first, as we try to tackle it, would have been very difficult if we had very stringent goals at the beginning. Right. We, right.
0: we in,
1: in many ways, even even with not having had those strict metrics at the beginning of our plan, we did overcook our plan. And as we were moving forward in our plan, there were things that we were pulling out going, well, you know, this is one thing that doesn't fit here because of what we're learning as we're going through the process. You know, I'll hearken to the one piece that was sort of a big revelation to us is that when we started off this work in 2010, you know, we had very we had a frame for how we wanted to approach the work. And what came back to us after maybe, you know, not even a year, um, and this came from, again, the population that, the, that we were, were working with in the communities, is that the youth in the communities wanted to be engaged. They're like, you have representation of the community from the nonprofits, the pro- the for-profit uh, organizations, uh, the government entities in the communities, but where where is the youth? We will be the next leaders uh, of this state. Yeah. And we're nowhere represented at the table. And so for us, that was like an aha moment. And and we recognized that, yes, indeed, youth leadership is going to be very important in order for us to be able to move the needle as we move forward in time. And so we had to step back and go, okay, well, now we need to refocus how we were doing our work and engage the youth as a bigger portion of the, the, you know, community members that we were going to be engaging in with the, for the next 10 years. And it ended up with uh, such a, a great acknowledgement from our CEO, Dr. Robert Ross, um, that, you know, yeah, the youth should be part of this. And so he convened his own president's youth council as part of this work. And I believe there might be 10 or 12 in youth that I'm sorry, 14 youth from our 14 places are part of this, and they advise Dr. Ross about the work that the foundation is doing from the lens of the youth in those communities. And I have to tell you, the youth that sit on his president's council are amazing. They are the future leaders of California. They have the drive. They have the will and the passion to represent their state in a future state that is it is a reflection of how well we've learned and listened and i and i and i think that again the ability to have metrics is important and it helps frame us but i i think that there's also uh something that we learn as part of this is that um having some very high level goals was helpful but more importantly it was important for us to be able to say you know what as we're going through this, we don't know what we don't know. So let us focus on the individual stories that come from the, the, the work and not so much on the statistical scientific data just yet. We'll get to that, but
0: let's learn a little bit more about what we're doing and how we need to do it. I, l- I love it. It's I had no clue this was going on. It's so different from the, uh, the assumptions <laughs> that I and I, many people in my circles have about know what what this what your work looks like how nonprofits, how the social sector is addressing these issues yeah i think uh i tend to think of it more administratively driven than this holistic it's visionary you know to to chart what you want the future state to be and then be nimble as how you organize the resources in pursuit of that yeah
1: and and you know and it's a and, and it's a different way to approach solving a problem. I, yeah. You know, when we talk about social innovation, we always talk about effective solutions to the challenges and the systemic issues that are in our community. But, you know, sometimes that 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 doesn't have to be a metric. That could be an opportunity to sit and listen. Hmm. Um, and, and I have to tell you, the engagement and support of the young leaders for for the work that we're doing, that, like, was like a... Big change for the way that we thought about our work, and, and and I think that in in many ways it was a it was a great lesson for a big funder to be able to be in the space and have the youth in those communities go, hey, we're we're here too, so yeah. please don't proceed to resolving and making us all healthy without engaging us in that effort.
0: And so I'd love to hear about some of the the efforts or the impacts of the. The work that the youth are doing, or that they're helping your organization focus on. So, any any strong models of social innovation that my listeners should be aware of. Oh,
1: absolutely! Um, and actually, this is a uh, an organization that um, it is just doing such fantastic work. Uh, the name of the organization is the Rise Center, and they're located in Richmond, California, which is one of our fourteen sites. And you know, I, I have to tell you that this. Uh, the, the Youth Council um, recently met our program department about two weeks ago, and they all had a site visit to the center. And, and again, it was interesting because my perspective on this organization is that they're doing fantastic social justice work with youth leaders leading the way towards that change. And when the President's Youth Council came and met with the program department, um they shared their their thoughts about this uh, this site visit that they had at the Rise Center, and they felt like the what the Rise Center was doing is in essence what they were looking to achieve in their individual communities. And um, you know, I, I have to tell you that the 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 Rise Center has this wonderful one pager uh, uh, that kind of talks about the work that they're doing, and they've done it in such a simple, clear way, they've articulated what the problem is, which is West Contra Costa youth bear the burden of multiple health and social inequities.
0: Thank you, Sharon. There is a
1: harmful, there is a, there is a harmful public narrative and promoted both in policies and in the media that youth of color are deficits and not assets to the larger community. And so, you know, that is, that articulation of the issue, the problem is, 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 is Amazing that you could you could have youth really, um, you know, understand that the role that they play for the future and themselves is 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 this for them to get to that, and then their vision, which is you know, I'm reading from their one pager because again, this organization really, from a social justice perspective, really gives that that an amazing new breath of life. Um, their vision is for a strong, healthy, united community where equity is the norm and violence is neither desired nor required, creating a strong foundation for future generations to thrive, a time and place where youth have opportunities to lead, to dream, to love. Towards the vision, RISE creates safe practices grounded in social justice for young people to love, learn, educate, heal, and transform lives and communities. I mean. It is. It, it sounds. This vision sounds so simple, but it's so meaningful because it's yeah. being driven by our youth, and um, you know, being able to engage in the kind of work that they're doing, I think, is is really important because it gives them the opportunity to be those leaders with the support that they need, and um, and and their strategies, the way that they approach the work. Again, it shows insight. It shows uh, 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 an empathy to, to inclusiveness as opposed to exclusiveness, which is how some, you know, if you think about some of the work, it, it, it doesn't really engage the people in it. It, it. It's more like being talked to or being right. served rather than being engaged in the solution. And they're model. really grounded in the idea that in order to be able to do their work, you know, they have a lot of things that they need to have to do, and they have outcomes. I mean, again, this is meaningful because youth have crafted the outcomes that they want to see in their future world, in their future state of California. And, um, you know, it it seems like they're simple statements, but they carry so much meaning. And um, I want to read you uh, some of the outcomes of their work. Please. Because I think this really drives the idea that youth are meaningful. Youth you don't have to wait until you're 18 to be able to be active in your community and support its its its, its health and in its and its existence. Um, so here's the outcomes that they've come up with uh, in terms of you know transforming systems. No policy investment practice about young people of color without young people of color. Systems, both in policy and practice, are responsive to the priorities and needs of young people as defined by young people. Systems and adults responsible for young people are safe, loving, welcoming, and responsive. Systems take over by the next generation leaders are committed to a platform for liberation in which cultural work and race are central. I mean that and that's just for their systems, you know. So think about the importance of being able to articulate goals like that and then having the support to be able to do it and do it well. As I said at the beginning, the, the RISE Center is really a star amongst our, our nonprofit grantees in, in the sense that it has really given that space for youth to be engaged and active in their community and to really see that demonstration of that work and effort resonate um, in a meaningful way and and to be able to to have youth engaged as part of the solution i think also gives us the opportunity and the reminder that um while we may be adults and we may be able to do things like vote and drink but we are not the knowers of everything and 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 the youth have a a, an amazing base and if you see the kind of activation that has happened at the 18 and under level in the last two years You can only hope that others are seeing the importance of engaging youth in the resolution of the issues that our society has.
0: Because they're the ones that are going to be inheriting this world that all these adults, all these 70-year-olds in Congress are creating. So to have them in the process creating the outcomes, I mean, it just makes sense
1: it does I mean it seems simple and, and sometimes we struggle with the simple yeah. but sometimes it, it is it doesn't have to be complicated and I think that the youth have really sort of given us a, an opportunity to recognize that um, they are part of the solution and they yeah. need to be engaged they need to be part of the conversation and the more opportunities and spaces that we can create for them to be able to do that I think it gives us a better future um, and I think that there's a there's a you know we need to knock down the stereotypes that uh youth in general are are not leaders because i you know what i saw from the president's youth council members i can tell you right now that those are the future leaders in california and they have the passion and the drive to really make change and that's the kind of of individuals and, and environment that you want to cultivate
0: it's really really interesting to hear this president's youth council i mean this is something that i wanted to uh ask you about, you know, how, how can philanthropies accelerate the impact of their grantees, help them scale aside from, you know, this traditional model of just giving more money?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I think uh, philanthropy has to, you know, philanthropy is a very big machine, and it often searches for the shiny object because it is, it is, it is, the thing outside of government that, that supports, uh, individuals. And, and I have to say philanthropy's role in this is really to recognize opportunities. It it really comes down to that. I mean, I I may have oversimplified it, but it really is about being able to uh, recognize opportunities when they're confronted with them. Um, and and really thinking about, um, the, the connectivity that everybody has, um, in engaging some of the work that we've done, we've actually connected with non traditional partners. Um, and and that has been important, right? Because as funders we we tend to be in our in our swim lanes and we don't go outside them. Yeah. And really what we've learned over the course of the work for building healthy communities is that our partners are within the community and it there's no there's no scale that says that, you know, you can only engage with these folks but not that folks because they're not in nonprofit or they're not in, in, engaged in the same work. I think that what we've done is really we've created a mobilization of community that promotes justice in, in, in a different way that really is about relationships. At the end of it, it comes back to people and the relationships and philanthropy's role is really about making that connectivity happen among the people that are in community. Oftentimes, uh, you, you can have communities that are, you know, been been together for a long time, but really don't engage with each other. And, and sometimes you need to have somebody come in and do that. Um, I feel like that's one part of the role that the endowment has played is really connecting those individuals within community um, and, and, and and giving them the opportunity to see that, you know, th- there are other other places where you can support the work. Uh, philanthropy is one way, but really uh, a lot of the work that we do is around community organizing and really putting uh, the emphasis on, on the residents and how they can be the, the power uh, of, of that community and the change. So funding from philanthropy is important, and, and, and you know, you can definitely engage People, but you know the the what happens when the money runs out, right? The tale is always uh, about uh, creating opportunities for individuals to be successful uh, and nonprofits to be successful. But uh, we often forget that you know there can only you cannot fund something forever. Um, It's just not it's just not possible. And so how do you make the impact meaningful? And I think what we've done, at least a principle uh, about the work that we've been doing is about creating relationships outside of the circle that philanthropy seems to exist in and really having dynamic engagement with other folks. So we have a wonderful program um, that the endowment has worked on um, called Freshworks. And it was an engagement of for-profit entities investing in a big pool or a, a fund uh, to to create um, really healthy um, uh, markets and, and shopping opportunities for people in, in communities where there were food deserts. So food deserts okay. are places where it is impossible to get a... a you know, fresh fruit at an affordable price within, you know, walking distance of where you live. And and the objective of Freshworks was really to uh, have folks invest into this pool, be able to identify places where there is a food desert, look at the space, try to find a place where it would economically and socially be feasible to put a store in, and then use that money from that pool to Jumpstart that opportunity, and and really, you're not looking at you're not looking at this from the I'm giving a grant. You're looking at this from the perspective Uh, we are giving a uh, program investment, uh, a program related investment. It, It is a opportunity to engage the for profit sector in an opportunity to better the community, and and again, it is it is a pooled fund. But again, it came about from having a relationship other than the relationship most traditional philanthropies do, right? And so that, that, is, that is meaningful, and it has impact. And, it, and what it tells us is that we cannot only respond to the ailments of society with one path, which is to give the money. Right, the money, the money always helps but it can't last forever. And so it has to be about the relationships that you engage in and, and what are the things that you're doing that's gonna change the outcome, right? And for us, something like putting a, a market in a food desert that allows the residents to be able to walk there, have a, a, a job opportunity, uh, and be able to get affordable food, fresh food, healthy food, um, that, is, that is a big game changer. Yeah, and it doesn't rely on, 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 on the idea that philanthropy needs to fund it. It just says that there's other opportunities for society that, that don't include nonprofits, but are important for nonprofits to be a part of, right? So the engagement of those um, uh, stores that have been, uh, you know, built out of our Freshworks Fund, that's meaningful, but also meaningful is the work that was happening around that 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 was about creating job opportunities, creating you know mm-hmm. geographic spaces where people felt like they could go to the store and be safe. Um, so it is not a single siloed uh, way to approach a solution. It is it is looking at things differently and engaging with different partnerships. Funding is always good, but it doesn't last forever. And and you also do a disservice to nonprofits by being the only funder for an extended period of time, because then they become dependent on you. And you know, oftentimes some foundations are, are fortunate that their assets remain the same and that they can continue to do the same work. But that doesn't always stay the same. And and, and the economy also impacts the ability for for funders uh, every year. And so. If we are able to then create different pathways, different opportunities to engage in in, in the work, then that is more meaningful than putting more money by a philanthropic entity, it, yeah. it really is because you're you're now connecting the entity, and unless those funders are in the communities that they're serving, oftentimes there's a disconnect, right? So you don't want to come in, parachute in, do the work, and parachute out. You want that that funder to be part of that community, understand, and then really provide meaningful connections for them to be able to to move the needle on where they're where they're at.
0: One thing I'm really struck with throughout this conversation is the amount of. Uh risks and outside-of-the-box thinking that uh, you and your colleagues at the foundation have engaged in. And that just feels like such a central trait to uh, this broad theme of social innovation. So I'd like to hear what what other recommendations you have for uh, social innovators out there trying to solve big problems.
1: You know, I I think uh, risk is definitely something that we... (laughs) I don't say we do it well because I mean we do take a lot of risk. But sometimes you just don't know what's going to work. I, I, I like to think that uh, we are throwing spaghetti on the wall and hoping that it sticks. And if it doesn't, then we've learned something from that failure as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that that is a that is a big but difficult. Uh, uh, thing for philanthropy to accept. We, you know, sometimes we're, sometimes we're very risk adverse. Um, and, and I think that in order to be resolve the issues that, that happen in society and community, you really have to be open-minded, flexible, and, and think about the primary purpose of, of being a, a philanthropic entity. And that is to help, uh, the, what you help depends on obviously what, what your, your foundation supports, but, um, the, the help always is, is not uh, one-dimensional. It is it is a myriad of things that, that impact uh, a community, a society, and, and we have to be really engaged in the different kinds of way that we can do this work um, and think outside the box. It's comfortable sometimes to do, uh, you know, rinse, lather, repeat, right. but... Oftentimes, that, that doesn't necessarily work. And in a changing society, with technology uh, at where it is, with the influence of social media, you need to think about how you engage uh, communities differently. And you, you need to be able to respond to them at where they're at. And that means being able to recognize opportunities for what they are, engaging other partners differently, engaging partners that you that are outside your comfort zone. Um, you know that's an important piece that that philanthropy I think um, is doing a little bit better at in recent times and, and I you know I'm not quite sure uh, why that has changed or maybe maybe I do know uh, but I, I think that there's there's a lot of opportunities that sort of have risen up to the top as a lot of the mobilization that has happened at the ground level so you know for all the all the hashtag groups that are out there you know there's there was really a core group of people moving uh, that 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 movement, but there was also somebody providing the 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 fund, the support, you know, uh, and, and and engaging with people, engaging in different ways. I think has become um, is the new norm because you have to. We can't do it alone, and in order to be able to be successful. You have to take the failures as learning opportunities, and you have to take the partners that you didn't consider before as partners moving forward, because that's what's really going to break the cycle of repetition of, you know, uh, doing just one thing and and hoping that from that it can escalate because other people are going to do the rest of the work. It's really about collaboration um, and relationships and and really taking those big leaps of faith that um, works. community and and, and philanthropy can work together to be successful. And I think that that's possible. And, and over, you know, over time, it takes time to fix some of the problems that have been building up over decades. And, and so being patient is also, I think another facet just like risk is a facet of the work that we do. So is patience. Patience Mm -hmm. is a very big thing. uh, Because we often are reactive, not proactive. And while, that is one of the opportunities that philanthropy offers is to be able to be reactive in the moment that you need it. it should, philanthropy shouldn't only have the reactive trigger on. It should always have that opportunity to be thoughtfully focusing and working on in a proactive way the, the issues that come up and the opportunities that rise up from, from creating better relationships with people that are outside your normal philanthropic box
0: so i'm looking at the time here, and uh I see we gotta wrap up soon I, I so appreciate the perspective and uh all the work that you've done and what you've shared here it is not the conversation I was expecting, and it's exciting and inspiring to hear this so any last words or call to action
1: you know um I think uh i'm I'm going to take a quote uh from um Something I read recently, and it's a, it's a gentleman with the heights of endowment philanthropies. Um, he was recently at a at a conference in Boston, and he said something that really resonated to me. And I think I take that as the the place where where we learn and 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 grow from. Um, and this is his quote. His name is uh, Grant Oliphant. Um, Real courage, the epic kind that changes history for the good begins with honoring the pain that we and others feel, not running from it or happy talking our way past it. It comes from a place of love, not bravado. To me that resonates so much because that's that's where the real courage is. That's where the work the youth that is is currently engaged in our communities. That's that that takes a lot of courage to rise up to be a leader and and, and, and to be able to engage and, and hold on to that um, in a meaningful way, while we go through all of these uh, civil society changes and, and, and negative influences, is to be able to rise up from that and say, you know, the work, the good work that we do, comes from a place of love, and and that I think is the most powerful way to make this uh, a great place for Californians, uh, but also for Californians and others who come to California. So.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And future Californians. Uh, Dolores, so appreciate your your time today. Um, Look forward to future conversations. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate this time with you. Absolutely. To learn more about philanthropic giving, nonprofits, and social innovation, I encourage you to read Uncharitable, How Restraints on Nonprofits Undermine Their Potential by Dan Pelota. Innovations and Scaling for Impact, How Effective Social Enterprises Do It, by Christian Silos. And one I'm about to wrap up right now, Rational Optimist, by Mark Ridley. A big thanks to my sponsor, Jay Lately, for providing the music for Onward. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist who's been pursuing his dream since the age of 16 while juggling jobs that improve the lives of youth in Oakland. If you like good music and want to support independent artists, please go check out soundcloud.com forward slash just lately. Make sure to subscribe to Onward via iTunes or Anchor FM. Wouldn't want you missing out on another inspiring conversation with an awesome social innovator. Until next time, Onward and Upward.